0: My son is his own person, and I'm so proud that he pursues the things that bring him joy. When I first became a mother, I didn't have the language for this monumental role that I was about to embark on. I was incredibly young, so I was still trying to figure out who I was. I felt like I was in survival mode. I subconsciously put my mental health on hold so that I could raise my son. It really wasn't until I became an empty nester that I finally gave myself permission to rediscover who I was and to work through the negative narratives about motherhood that I held on to, such as I wasn't a good mother if I took time out for myself, or I wasn't a good mom if my son veered off the linear path of success. However, there was this one powerful point of reference. A moment when I realized my personal well-being and happiness actually played a major role in my son's well-being, too. It was his freshman year of high school, and he was still adjusting to moving houses during middle school. He was angry, and I really wasn't sure why. We are butting heads way more than I'd like. When we had one final nasty interaction, I thought, wow, we couldn't continue like this. At the same time, I was burning out of my job and overworking myself. I started thinking maybe my negative moods and attitude was leaking into our relationship and part of the problem. That's when I vowed that I would work through my own moods. And ultimately, I did start to see changes in my son. But most importantly, I saw a huge difference in our relationship. I'm really thankful for these kinds of experiences because they were red flags trying to get my attention about my well-being and my relationships. And once I listened and placed my pride aside, the healing began. I'm Francis Leese and I want to welcome you to Turning Points, a show about navigating mental health sponsored by Point32 Health. Today, we're talking about the mental health and wellness of parents. First, I talk with Julia Dennison. She is the chief content officer at a new app called Conceive, which supports parents trying to conceive through pregnancy. Before that, She was a senior editorial director for Parents Magazine and Parents.com. But to her six-year-old daughter, Esme, she is mom. Becoming a parent changed her whole world.
1: I remember when my daughter was born, I was like, oh my God, everything I care about most in the world, my entire heart is now outside of my body. And... I can't control it all the time. All of a sudden, it was a lot of joy, but also this anxiety hit me right away. I said to my mom, I was like, this feeling that my entire heart is outside of my body and I can't control it. Is this ever go away? It's an amazing but also awful feeling. And she
0: was like, nope. And I'm feeling it right now about you having a baby. While Esme was a toddler, Julia and her husband decided it was best for their family if they divorced. They co-parent together while living in New York City. Julia tells us how she prioritizes her mental health and why her family, and every family, needs a village of support. Divorce is a huge change, as you know, right? And, you know, for some people, there's this grieving process of the things that you thought. Was going to happen. Yeah. And for others, it's liberating. It's like, whew, all right, I'm done with this. Right. But how did the divorce affect your mental health as a parent?
1: Oh gosh, it was hard. It was hard. We figured out that we probably needed to be separating and getting divorced when, even when I was pregnant. And I remember thinking, I got to park this because we've got a baby coming and we just have to focus on the baby for the first year at least. And we did, we sort of parked it really and just put our focus together on Esme and raising her. And then when she turned one, it just became clear that exterior factors meant that we couldn't really be together anymore. It's strange. Of course, it affected my mental health in a big way, but because it was sort of coinciding with also becoming a mother and having a baby, there were a lot of other things Distracting me, I guess, and I think in some ways it's probably taken me longer to process. I'm in therapy, and I'm sure there's probably more for me to be processing that I even because I think when you're a parent, you put a lot of yourself on pause, you know, like because you're just dealing with the child. Parents even joke like going to the bathroom; you'll be like, you'll have to pee, and you'll be holding it for like all day because you're doing all this stuff to take care of the kid. And you're like, wait a second, I just need to go to the bathroom, and I think it's a little bit like that with everything in parenthood, and certainly mental health, because I think there's a lot where it's like. It's fine, I'll deal with this later when I have the time. And it's so rare as a parent that you have time. So I don't know, I'm realizing now that it's really important to take time. Therapy is really important, having a strong group of parent friends who can relate. I think for me, in a nice way, because I'm, I sort of am on two sides of the spectrum because I'm single and I'm also, I have, so I have my parent friends, my mom friends, and then I also have my single friends. I feel like, you know, if you think about your mental health as a pie chart, when you are a single parent and you've gotten divorced or you're dating and you're a parent, There's a chunk of that pie that's going to have to be dedicated to that side of your life, or or it doesn't have to be, but you know, for me it is because finding a good relationship is important to me. And that's a chunk of a pie that takes away energy and mental thought and everything that maybe people who are coupled and parenting as a couple and may not have in the same way. We get along as parents, but as friends, but I'd also, because of working at parents.com and Parents Magazine, I... Was aware of all the research and the studies that show how important it is for kids to have equal access to their parents, and also if they can, and also just to have that really strong union. And as parents, and I'd heard horror stories. My dad's parents had an awful divorce, so growing up, divorce was a really bad word in my family. And so I was very conscious of the fact that I wanted to get it right. Is going into it, Mm. yeah. There's a certain level of like, yes, you can control it, but. I feel like there's probably also luck in that I am able to
0: co-parent. Yeah. You know, you just try to do the best that you can. (laughs) Mm -hmm. So you went from parenting as a married couple to co-parenting and living in separate homes. Mm -hmm. Did that physical change affect your mental health? What challenges did you face there? I tell you what, I'm going to tell you a little secret.
1: (laughs) I actually really love my life, my setup. I'm a parent 100% of the time, but I have half the time where I'm like, it's 100% just me parenting my daughter. And then half the time where I don't have to be parenting her actively. And I really do think that that time away from actively parenting helps me be a better mom when I'm parenting her. And that's where I'm like, for the full-time single parents out there, I will sing their praises and give them admiration till forever because I don't know how people do it like full-time single parenthood and not having that break. And I think everyone needs that break. And that's where things like the village can have to come in when you're a single parent in any capacity because being 100% the parent for the half the time is so mentally taxing that you need that other time, I think, to recharge. It's tough because we separated when my daughter was one. So part of me was also like, oh, well, if we do it now, it's just what she's used to and it's what she's always known. But she's six now. And now, even though it's what she's always known, she's now sort of seeing other kids' houses and recently been a little bit more like, why do I have to have two houses? Everyone else has one house. I don't want to have two. And that's, you know, hurts my heart because I'm like, I don't know what the answer is. I can't be like, don't worry, we'll all live in one house. No problem. Like, that's not happening. So there's no real solution other than to be like, yeah, I'm really sorry. There are some real like, that can be so hard. must be so hard. So I try to be kind of respectful of that. and but I think that there, you know, there are positives, too. I like to think she has two awesome rooms, and she has a little sister at her dad's house. She gets to be an only child at my house. But, you know, I think trying to really still just listen to her and hear her out and be there for her. And sometimes with kids, I think there are situations that you can't change, and it sucks. And there's not a lot you can tell them other than I'm sorry that it's happening you know
0: yeah you do your best to try to explain it because my son went through that oh why aren't you and dad together anymore that whole conversation the best thing that you can do is to create the space to be able to talk about it but you know as they get older they can they have a point of reference oh I was able to talk to mom about that and I could talk to mom about anything so it's not a, a loss I don't think in that sense yes because they can have a point of reference as they get older so and I love how you say that you know when May's off with, with dad. You have some time alone. Like kids should not have to see you as just a parent all of the time. That's true. They need to see that you have passions, that you have interests, that you have a life outside of them. Yes. Because you're actually modeling that for them. An identity outside of being a parent. Yeah. And so you often talk about how much it takes a village to raise a child on your podcast, We Are Family. Mm-hmm. Tell me about your village, raising your daughter. What kind of support network do you have?
1: Well- It's funny because we're able to be talking right now because my daughter is with my parents. (laughs) I'm so lucky to have my parents. They live half an hour away and they just drove in, picked her up. They're taking her back to their house where they have a backyard and everything out in the suburbs. And she gets to go and play in the baby pool and stuff. And it's great. And I think she ends up having a much, I think, stronger relationship with my parents than I ever had with my grandparents because of that village. And I remember the, the moment it sort of hit me was... I was at a dance recital for her and I was looking at all the couples and I was sort of like getting that pang of like, mm, like, why doesn't our family look like everybody else's family? And then I realized our village was taking up an entire row at the dance recital. And the company that runs our dance classes always give out four tickets per family. But my friends are already like, how many extra tickets do you need? Because we're always the family that needs extra tickets because it's like... Her dad, her dad's girlfriend, potentially her dad's girlfriend's family, you know, my sister, my sister's boyfriend, my parents. And it's the same. Like, I'm also closer to my sister who actually moved in with me for a little while at one point. And so I am very lucky to have a very strong family, but I definitely think she sees them more and I'm closer with them because of being a single parent and needing to rely on that village. Honestly, I think that's an awesome thing.
0: So let's also talk about your career in parenting, and you started a new venture as chief content officer at a new startup. And before that, you rose in the ranks of magazine publishing and digital content. How do you prioritize your mental health when both parenting and work and full-time jobs? All these things. And dating, let me tell you. I I don't know. I'm
1: glad I'm in therapy. I think boundaries. I'm like, boundaries is one of my favorite words with work life. I really do try to clock off if I can. And I really do try to kind of set clear boundaries between my work life, my life life. I think the pandemic introduced a lot of challenges there because working from home, But over the years, I try to be very boundaried between that work-life balance and also, you know, try to take care of myself and recognize that that downtime's okay and it's okay to rest and it's okay to just not do anything. There's a lot of memes out there that joke that when, as a mom, you have 10 minutes or even all of a sudden an hour to yourself. Moms are just like, wait, ah," it's like deer in headlights. Like, what do I even begin to do? And often parents will be like, oh, I'll do some chores. I'll fold laundry. I think as much as you're able to, like, it's a privilege, but as much as you're able to outsource so that you're not having to do all that, I think it's money well spent. For me, I mean, it feels like a big luxury to get somebody to come help you clean your house. And it kind of is, but even if you don't have a ton of money, I still think ways that you can outsource some of the stuff that's taking up a lot of that time for you as a parent so that you can actually rest and not feel bad about Resting, or just like embrace a little bit of a dirtier house. That's what I do. <laughs> the dishes don't always have to get done. Sometimes it's okay to sit down and watch Selling Sunset, and there are dirty dishes in the sink, and that's okay. And of course, all the other things: exercise and meditation, and all the things I try to do. But then I get stressed when I'm not like meditating enough. I'm like, oh god, I got to put meditation on the to do.
0: <laughs> that's so funny.
1: <laughs> well, I think also with moms and in parenthood there's this idea that your time is free a little bit. Like people talk about breast milk being free, a free resource. Well, no, like how much time is spent like pumping and stressing and like- Feeling all that, no. (laughs) Time is really valuable. And I think parents could do a lot more to value their own time and see it for what that
0: is, you know? I agree 100%. What does caring for your mental health look like on a day-to-day basis? What are the things that you do to kind of feel good and disconnect from your role as a parent? In terms
1: of- disconnecting from my role as a parent, I really do think those days where I don't have Esme are helpful. But I think also just like sticking to a routine and getting her to bed if I can on time and those like couple hours that I have after she's gone to bed are really valuable to me. And I try to spend that time in a way that feels good. It's very easy to just sort of like doom scroll and just be on your phone the entire time. Probably what I could do most more of and I try to do more of is forgiving myself. Because even if you have those nights where you're just scrolling and you feel like you're not productive, sometimes it's okay. <laughs> sometimes it's just you really do need to completely like check out because your brain is going a million miles an hour when you're a parent and whatever checking out looks like to you is fine. But of course, like I try to exercise. Exercising to me is is everything. And I don't, and if I, I forget how much better I feel after I've exercised, I try to go to bed fairly on time all the things and therapy honestly i think finding the right parent friends is important the kind that won't judge you the kind that like you could literally say anything and they're on the same page that's my friend group and that's really helpful so like we're constantly just texting each other everything and there's nothing that's shocking to anyone anymore and i think that having a really strong group of friends like that is also probably pretty pivotal to my mental health
0: especially if they share in like some dark humor about
1: Exactly. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And like nothing is off limits and which is nice because you just feel like you can really open up about anything. And it's funny because with our group of friends, we're all in different places. Of course, like I'll be like sharing my like dating woes and like they're talking (laughs) about their husbands. It's like it's all kinds of things, but it's helpful.
0: I love it. (laughs) So what tips would you have for those who are looking to create a village or find those parent friends?
1: I'd say like take all the help you can get. So if you have family offering help, I think often we'll be like, it's fine. Don't worry. I got it. But like, just give in. I found most of mine through Facebook groups at the time. There was like neighborhood Facebook groups for like babies of the same age and that kind of thing. And I think that's how I met everyone. But actually, one of my best mom friends, she's a sommelier. Talk about like embracing your identity and bringing it through to parenthood. She started up these classes, which was wine tasting for new moms. (laughs) And like, I remember I saw that on Facebook and I was like, okay, this is my kind of person. And of course
0: it, it was. I love that. Somalia. <laughs> I know. That's so cool though. <laughs> it's like, okay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for being on the show today. This was very lovely. Thanks, Francis. This is wonderful. Everyone's experiences of parenthood is different. For me, when I was a single mother raising my son, I had a lot of support from my grandmother and extended family. And today, only 22% of children are raised in a quote-unquote traditional nuclear family. So no matter what your family looks like, the help of a support system, a village similar to Julia's, can help lift some of the extreme mental load parents carry. I love that Julia embraces single parenthood. She finds the time to recharge on the nights when Esme's with her father, and she leans on her village of family and friends. Next, I talk with Dr. Anne Louise T. Lockhart. She is a pediatric psychologist and a parent coach based in San Antonio, Texas. She offers therapy for children, and she coaches parents to support their child's mental health. Therapy and coaching are both very effective, but in different ways. And
2: this is how she describes the difference. With parent coaching, when I'm meeting with a parent with significant anxiety... they have a child with significant anxiety, and I'm parent coaching them through that, I can't just help them with their kid with anxiety because they also have anxiety too. So in that sense, then it would benefit them from seeing their own therapist so they can deal with their own anxiety. They can really dive deep into that, which I can't directly do if I'm doing parent coaching, but I'm helping them learn to respond to their kid in that moment.
0: We talk about how a child's and parent's mental health can be interconnected why it's so important to lean on support networks and how embracing the non-parent sides of life can uplift the family. As a parent, what we do and how we move throughout the world has a direct impact with our children. And I remember when my son was a freshman in high school and he was going through some things, but at the same time, I was going through like a burnout situation. But the minute that I started really reflecting and changing my own personal mindset, my emotions he started to change. And I was like, oh, okay. Well, there's, there's something going on there. So it was it went from like him, him, him to me, 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 and then us, us, us. And so I'd love to know, how do you work with parents when it comes to changing their mindset and helping them to see that there is this connection
2: between them and their kids? That's an excellent question. Changing a parent mindset is one of the biggest things that I really address We all come into parenting, even if we don't admit it, with a set of ideas of how parenting is going to be, or we don't think about it at all because we think, oh, it's just going to be easy, but it's still a mindset. I'm going to have a great kid, and they're going to be super popular or athletic or artistic, or they're going to be a great singer like me, or they're going to love school and have tons of friends. Like We have all kinds of views about the kid that we're going to have or the kid that we just delivered or adopted or fostered. We have all these ideas about what kind of human they're going to be. And I think when we're really paying attention to that, that's a mindset. We have a mindset. Or we think, I'm never going to be the kind of parent that my mom or dad or grandparent was. I'm going to be different. I'm not going to be so strict. I'm going to let them watch as much TV as they want. I'm going to let them go to bed whenever they want, or I'm going to have strong rules. Many times, parents are coming into parenting with, I'm going to be just like my parents or nothing like my parents, and we're either moving towards or away from constantly, so that mindset has to come from, okay, you can't keep parenting from a perspective of being just like or nothing like your parents because you're not them and your kid is not you. So you have to get that out of your mind, first of all, and then really think about what did I think about my role as a parent? What did I think parenting was going to be like? Am I disappointed? And honestly, I meet with a lot of couples and I specialize a lot in working with specifically moms who have husbands who are just like, parent coaching, what? What? And they're not open to it. And I'm able to bring them into the fold. And many times what I hear from dads is this very thing. If I knew this is how parenting was going to be, I wouldn't have signed up for it. I hear this over and over. Why? Because they had a mindset that it was just going to be, you had a kid and you raised them. Easy peasy. What's so hard about that? What happens (laughs) is parents end up replaying, just like
0: you said, their own upbringing into their relationship with their children. I love how you say that it's important for you to parent the kid that's in front of you, not the kid that you hope they were or the one that you wish you had, but the one that's being presented in front of you. And that's going to make the world of a difference. And so treating mental health of both a parent or a child obviously impacts the whole family. How can a parent seeking your services and therapy and coaching bring
2: a positive change to the whole family? Yes. I think it starts with that exact phrase, parent the kid in front of you. It has to start there because one of the posts that I had that people always respond to well to on Instagram is stop parenting fake kids. I love that. (laughs) Because that's what we're doing, right? Yeah. If we are thinking this is the kind of kid that we have and you have this imaginary kid in your mind, then you're parenting the wrong kid. You're literally parenting the child in the way that they they don't need. And so I work a lot with, for example, kids with ADHD, parents who have kids with ADHD. And parents who think that this child is just a typically developing kid, why can't you keep your room clean? What's the big deal in getting your homework done? Why are you so unfocused? Why can't you do this long list of chores that I got? Well, because you're parenting the wrong kid. Now, it doesn't mean that we don't give them responsibilities and build them up to be able to eventually do it. It just means that in the moment, if you don't understand what ADHD is and you don't understand how their brain is neurodivergent and operates differently, then you're going to give them a bunch of things and they're going to fail every time. And they're going to feel like a loser and you're going to feel like a failure and you're going to feel like you're screwing up your relationship. And so- You have to change your parent mindset by realizing you have to parent the kid in front of you. And I think it always starts there. And whenever I see parents in parent coaching, I get a background from them in terms of like, how were you parented? What did you think parenting was going to be like? How do you and your partner or spouse differ in terms of parenting? And like, what are your goals? Because many times, even if they're on different pages, many times their end goal for their kid is the same. So they're like, oh, I'm really strict and she's too passive or permissive. Okay, so then what are your goals for your kid? Oh, I want them to be happy. I want them to lead a life that they are happy for, that they're passionate about, that they're inspired by this really lofty, beautiful, aspirational goals. And I'm like, so does it matter exactly then that you both parent exactly the same or does it matter that you're moving your kid towards the same goal? And so I think we have to really keep in mind that we parent the kid in front of us, but we also keep in mind, like, what's the end game here? What's our end goal?
0: Yeah, it it comes back to what is, like you said, the overall goal. And I mean, this goes back to relationships too, since you work with couples, it's like, what am I really going to focus my energy on? So how can I reallocate some of those energies in ways that do bring more harmony into the household? I'm also curious about, and this could go both, Head in hand with obviously mindset, but how does culture come into play with some of these different ways of rearing children?
2: Like, how do you tackle culture? Oh, yeah, that's a really great question. And I do that a lot. I'm from the Caribbean. I was born and raised in the Virgin Islands, and I came to the States at 18. And so I had the experience of being the majority culture and then being ethnic minority when I went to Buffalo, New York for college, which was a huge culture and weather shift and shock for me. So for me, I've really had both perspectives in terms of being the one in power, the one in privilege, and then being not. I see how culture, uh, when it comes to age, when it comes to generation, when it comes to ethnic and cultural background, regional background, all of those things can come into play. So if I'm seeing like an interracial couple, for example, that often Tends to bring its old whole different set of issues because one was often raised. And of course, they're so different from very different cultures and very different backgrounds. So they have to be able to appreciate and understand how one grew up and how one was raised and how the other one grew up and was raised, because that could often come into conflict that comes out in the parenting. And when I talk about that, I often talk to them about this whole issue of triangulation, which occurs in psychology. And triangulation is often you have this identified problem person, which is often the kid that's identified as this problem kid. They're having tantrums, they're lying, they're rude, they're stealing, whatever the problem is. And you have these two parents who are at war with each other because they're at war with this kid because they can't agree on how to parent this kid. And culturally and generationally, perspective-wise, they have to think about We can't allow this identified, quote, problem to be the problem. Our kid is not the problem. The problem is the lying or the problem is the stealing or the problem might be the tantrums, for example, but we have to be on one accord in order to come together to deal with the issue. So I think for me, it's really about helping them work through what was your perspective? What is your cultural upbringing? How does that inform you? And how are you bringing it to the table? How does it impact the way you parent? And so many times when I have these conversations, they've really never had these conversations before. They've never had a conversation about how being a black man growing up in Mississippi with grandparents is different than being a white woman who grew up in Orange County with parents who were always married for generations and never having a discussion about how that could possibly impact your parenting, your perspective, and your kids even.
0: It's so fascinating because these are conversations typically, right, that you would have before you say, I do. What kind of parent do you want to be? What kind of kids do we want to have? Obviously, we can't control that. And it takes a lot of self-awareness. It takes a lot of having really hard and tough conversations that a lot of people shy away from. Let's just keep it real. Like most of us just don't have these conversations, right? We just don't. And so it's like dead in our faces. Let's talk more about, broadly about support systems. Parents, some of them are doing a lot of this alone, especially if you do have different dynamics, different cultural situations, and people have their own opinions about it and all that. What does a healthy social support network look like for parents and parents who have one or two or multiple children? You know, Why are these networks so important?
2: Yeah, that's so important. And especially with the past couple of years we've had in the world and in the country, a support system is important. And I think people realize that when they were in isolation in physical isolation and social isolation. And because it is a known fact, we have moved away from our support systems for generations. People lived, operated, worked close to their family unit. So even for me growing up on St. Croix in the Virgin Islands, that what my family had been there for generations. And so the people that quote, took care of me were my godmother, aunties, cousins, uncles, friends, parents. So if I was somewhere where I wasn't supposed to be, by the time I got home, my mom knew it. (laughs) Because somebody saw somebody who saw me and told my mom, even though that wasn't always fun for me as a teenager, I knew that I was safe. I knew that I was never by myself. My mom always had a support because there was always somebody there. And I think that's important. And so it's like, how do you have your community, your village that could be there for you? And it's so important because you can't be a parent all the time. You have to take a break. And I think so often parents think they have to be a martyr in the cause. And it's there's some kind of badge of honor when you're ragged and tired and burnt out and you've never taken a break and you don't ever take a vacation from your kids and you don't take time away like that's not healthy. Like we need that time. And so that support system, whatever it looks like, colleagues, friends, coworkers, family, I think it's really, really important. We can't do life alone. Even if you're an introvert, which is what I am, even if you're an introvert, even if you prefer time by yourself or at home, we still need to connect. It's very important that we do that. And I've seen so many people, especially parents' mental health, be impacted, especially these last couple of years, because of that isolation and because of that separation from their support base. It's not healthy for us.
0: Yeah. It's the isolation, the separation. And oftentimes, especially with like Black women and just women in general, the superwoman complex. So they have just got so many things that they're putting on their shoulders. And a quote that I always, if I get an opportunity to talk to parents that I always share with parents, and it makes it just stings a little, but it really rings true. And it's by Carl Young, and I'm gonna paraphrase it. The worst thing a child can see is the life of an unlived parent. And it's like, mm. you really have to live. And so, why is it important for parents to be in touch with their non parent side and disconnect at
2: times from their kids? I love that question so much because I am such a believer of it and I model it for my own kids. So my kids are nine and 12 and I'm obviously a working mom. It is important for them to see that mommy is mommy. Mommy is also a wife to her husband. She is a friend. She is a daughter. She is a professional. They see that I take care of myself. It's important that I have my space and my time and if I want to take a nap, the nap is for me. Like, it's okay to have that separation. And they understand, like, even like my son the other day, I just worked all day. I was so mentally exhausted. And then he wanted to hang out with me. And I was like, oh, gosh, how can I say this in a nice way? <laughs> I was like, sweetheart, I know that you really want to hang out. I would love to hang out with you. How about we hang out for about 10 minutes and then mommy needs some time to herself. And then we can hang out again, okay? Okay. So then we hung out. He's like, I understand, mommy. You need your time to to like refresh or rejuvenate. I was like, yes, I do. And he got it. And he's like, sometimes I need that too. And I was like, I know. And he goes, and you give that to me too. I'm like, yes, I do. It's important for our kids to see us as we're not this like constant running ragged in all areas of our life at our own expense because it's going to wear you out And I think that's important for our kids to see us as not just their mom or their dad or their parent, that they see us as an individual who has our own interests and passions and desires because the kicker then is when someone loses themselves in parenting and that's all they are, I'm just a parent, quote unquote, and they don't have any other identity, no other hobbies or interests, they don't have any other relationships, what happens then their kids leave the house. And they don't know who they are. Or they're married, their kids leave the house, and marriage falls apart. Because they never nurtured that relationship. They never nurtured themselves. They never nurtured their passions. And then they forgot who they were. People think that they're being a bad parent when they have a hobby or they go on a trip. Or they, no, you're being a good parent because you're modeling self-care. Because if you're looking ragged, you're anxious and depressed and worn out, and that's what your kids are seeing? Like, is that what you want them to have modeled for them? That no matter how bad it gets, just keep pushing through. It's like that strong black woman, right? Oh, mommy's a strong black woman. She works it till she gets sick. Like, I don't want my kids to see that. No, I'd be taking a nap. That's what I'm doing. <laughs> and kids are so in tune with your feelings. They know, like they, and
0: then they start modeling it for you. And they're like, mom, you should take a break. And, you know, they'll start saying stuff like that because they're so intelligent and so sensitive to our emotions, which I want to transition into regulation and co-regulation because it's so, so, so key to connecting with our kids. And I would love for you to explain more about what it is when it means when we're co-regulating, because parents obviously play such an important part in helping kids understand and process emotions. Can you talk a little bit more about that and how impactful it is?
2: Yes, yes, this is another one of my favorite topics. So in order to just explain co-regulation, I wanna explain self-regulation first. So self-regulation is an executive function skill, which is brain-based, that helps us to manage our thoughts, emotions, behaviors, reactions to people. It helps us to regulate. We're balancing things out so we could be in harmony with ourselves and environment and others. But it's a skill that takes time to develop because it's one of the things that's part of executive functioning, which is in our prefrontal cortex, which is in the front part of our brain. It's one of the last things to develop in a child, not till mid-twenties. So self-regulation along with a lot of other things like impulse control, flexibility, decision-making, emotional regulation, problem-solving, all of those things are part of executive functioning. Okay? And why that's important to know is because when we talk about co-regulation, co-regulation is what a parent gives to their child because they can't do it yet. So co-regulation is about us being engaged in our own process of regulating ourselves, which is why it's important to do your own work (laughs) and heal yourself, because you can't give your kid something you don't have. So co-regulation, for example, would be If I was stuck in traffic, had a horrible day, and I came home and I told my husband, you would not believe the kind of day I had. And he was like, oh, tell me about it. And I was able to sit down, vent, complain, and then he just listened. And then I just like, he has just given me co-regulation. He has given me a piece of his calm as opposed to if he's like, well, what you should have done was you should have taken that route and why you make that person cuss you out. And maybe if you had done this and this, okay, that's not helping and that's not co-regulation at all. That's judgment. That's a whole bunch of other things. And that'll actually trigger me to be more dysregulated because I didn't get any calm. I just was able to stew in my own crap and feelings. So bringing it to the parent-child relationship, we have to give our kid our balance, our calm in order to help them regulate. That's what co-regulation is. We're giving something to them they don't yet have, which is why parenting can be so exhausting. Because when you have a toddler or a child with ADHD or anxiety or depression or another mental health issue or a teenager who's going through hormonal stuff or some other crisis in their teenage years, and you are just like, parenting is supposed to be easy. This is not what I signed up for. Why they got to treat me like this? They're so ungrateful. This is not how I was as a kid back in the day. Like if we do all that stuff, we're not regulated at all. And it's going to be hard to then give them some of our regulation. So co-regulation is such an important piece because when people approach me about parent coaching or any of their kinds of questions about parenting, many times they want this like quick fix. Like, well, if my kid does this, what should I do? If my kid does this, what should I do? Well, it depends. There's a whole bunch of reasons why they might do this behavior. There's a whole bunch of reasons. But it has to start with you and your calm. So if your kid is having this major meltdown and you're thinking in your head, it should not be this hard, then you're not going to be giving them any calm at all because you're stewing in your head. They're going to pick up on that vibe and that energy from you or that tone in your voice and you're not giving them any kind of regulation. So it always starts with us, no matter how ridiculous we think their attitude and behavior is, that's how we can give them some of our regulation and we can co-regulate to bring down the energy and introduce the calm. I always tell parents, you set the tone in your home, not your kid, you get to set that tone. Every
0: family is different. Every kid is different. Every parent is different. But if you're struggling with finding mental well-being or harmony in your household, I hope these conversations offer a bit of solace, some advice, and suggestions. Here's what I learned from these conversations. First, find a support system. This could be your parents, friends, a Facebook group full of strangers, your family, your partner. Second... Disconnect with your role as a parent. Embrace activities and hobbies that recharge you, even if you're sitting on the couch, watching TV, or taking a nap. And lastly, parent the kid in front of you. Stay open, patient, and listen to what your child needs. Thanks for listening and visit globe.com forward slash turning points, one word, for more information on mental health care and resources. To hear more stories of turning points, join us for our next episode. We'll talk about redefining your goals in life to include mental health. Thanks to our production team at Pod People, Ann Fuse, Amy Machado, Brian Rivers, Danielle Roth, and Michael Aquino. And special thanks to Point32Health, and the Studio B team at Boston Globe Media. Point32 Health is committed to connecting the community to personalized solutions that empower healthier living.